Welcome to Regulars Anonymous. With host, Zachary Landry. Sitting down with the people who are standing in line behind you at the grocery store. And hearing what they have to say. Friends of mine used to have this podcast, the buddies of mine from Edmonton, um, uh, that did this this podcast. It was called, oh, what was it called? Um, oh fuck, I forget. It, but it was it was all it was all about Kiss, and they both hate Kiss. So every single episode, <laughs> they would like listen to an album. And then like, and then the episode would all be like, like reviewing the album, talking about the album. My, my one buddy's like a, a major like music aficionado, uh, but they both hate Kiss. So they, they would force themselves to listen to these albums and then not necessarily review them, but just like talk about them. So I went on for uh, two of those episodes, actually. I also like I've, I've never even really listened to Kiss. I don't really care one way or another. They're iconic, but whatever. Um, and uh, it was it was just a it was a lot of fun. It was just it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Um, another buddy of mine has a, a podcast. I don't know if they do it anymore, but it's called the Alberta Podcast. But for that one, there was like just way too many people. It just was like crosstalk city. There was like five or six of us, so it was just also ridiculous and insane. Uh, my friend Sean. Uh, Sean McLavish and I had this live, uh, Facebook show. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a podcast. We would actually just do it at Bose. We would just like set up a phone and it was just like us, like squeezed way too closely together in front of this screen. And, uh, it was like, I don't know, it was somewhere between like improv comedy and, uh, uh, like prop comedy also. Cause we would, we would do that because we were desperate and didn't really know what was funny and what wasn't people loved it. Um, and then like interviewing people as well, which all culminated up to like a live, uh, a live performance on stage, December 18th of, uh, I think 2018 is when that happened. I might've seen that. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. We had Nerf guns, we got our pizza delivered halfway through. Okay, no, we started. Not we started. We started in a trap door, um, tr- and then got trapped trapped in the trap door. And then we had kick dancers uh, because we were actually <laughs> it was actually had a, a friend who had a band, and they wanted somebody to to film it, and they knew that I did film stuff. So I was like, "Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I can totally film it. Do you mind if we open for you?" <laughs> And they're like, yeah, sure, we don't care. And I'm like, I think you've made a terrible mistake. You should not let us open for you. Like this is this our vibe of the show is not going to be what you want at all. You guys are kind of like dark and moody and folksy, and we're just like the most bizarre comedy you've ever imagined. But it was so much fun. It was so, we, we gave trophies away to people. Don't know why. Not for any reason. I, I can't even remember why. Like I'm going to have to go back and watch it now that I think about it. Like what did we actually do? Because the whole thing was like. We would panic beforehand for about half an hour. We never came up with what we were doing. We'd get together maybe an hour beforehand, and then we'd we'd just think about, okay, like, what do we talk about? Like, superheroes. What's up with superheroes? You want to talk about superheroes? It was like, I don't fucking know. It's like, why are you shaking? Are you mad at me? I'm like, I'm not mad at you. What? No. Why? What? What are we going to do? We have 15 minutes to figure out what to talk about, and that's what it was like every single time for 16 episodes. But, I mean, it got, it got to the point where we had, like, 2,000 people watching at a time, and it was weird. Because we got we got the show boosted on Facebook, um, 
but it would go to weird air like Argentina. It was like I think our primary <laughs> demographic was like fifty year old women in foreign countries that would just be like, "You guys are cute." Oh yes, please. <laughs> so much fun though. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's 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 what I've done on a microphone. Dope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're obviously comfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some people just, you never I, know. I ramble when I get nervous, so you won't know the difference between being charismatic and me panicking. Excellent. And that's exactly what we're going to show out of. Chameleon. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Mm. So how did you get your uh, start in the film industry? Um, I always, want, like ever ever since I was kind of like junior high, um, uh, realized that I really enjoyed writing. Um and uh, tried my hand out at sort of writing like, uh, you know, novel style prose, but just found that I would always get excited. But like, I, you know, I'd write 10 pages down and then I'd get excited about another idea and then I'd start on that and I never ended up finishing anything. So I decided to kind of switch over into writing screenplays because my mentality at that time was that it was a little bit more bare bones. Like it's sort of just, um, it's, it's like action and dialogue. Um, and you don't have to worry about all of the, you know, J.R. Tolkien descriptors yeah. of, you know, what does this building look like, which is something I thought was necessary. It's obviously in there for a reason in any novel, but it just allowed me to focus a little bit better and actually complete a story that I was writing down. Get the core idea out. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and, you know, I also was like, you know, it's it's kind of sad. I like reading, but more people are watching movies than are reading books these days. So if I want to get my stories out to a wider audience, maybe uh, film, TV, media is, is the way to go. Um, so I decided to do that and then pursued it. Um, uh, always had that in mind all throughout school. I was always um, better at English than I was at, at any other subject and more interested in it, which is probably what made me better in it and get better grades in it. Um, so... Uh, you know, went to film school, although my work in film really had nothing to do with film school at all. You don't need to go to a film school in order to work in the industry. It all just kind of depends on what you're after. Um, what film school really provided was like a sandbox, a playground of technicians and actors and equipment. Everything so you, you need can, right here. Everything you need. So you just, you, you just, you, you, you get it all together. You come up with it yourself, which is, I mean, I, I went to Red Deer College, now Red Deer Polytechnic, uh, and they had an incredible theater and film program there. I wasn't really interested in theater, but theater was a prerequisite for film. And in fact, ended up being incredibly valuable uh, in terms of just like departments, who does what, the hierarchy of things, how it works, how rehearsals go, how performing arts work in a, in a, in a, in a in a production whether it's staged or filmed and you know film is just an extension of that it's very different but it's also incredibly similar in a lot of ways right so um i i, I went to school there um and uh and then I, I was bartending at the time as well um so when i got out of when i got out of film school again it was it was really really valuable for teaching you how to do everything kind of yourself like you just have an idea and, and that's all you have, how do you get it going? So it was like independent filmmaking, right? As opposed to like, I want to be a cinematographer. I want to learn about lenses. Uh, you know, I want to learn sound gear, any of that stuff. It, it, it wasn't as strong for learning specific disciplines as it was for being a filmmaker, uh, umbrella filmmaker, right? Um, and uh, and then after, after school, um, uh, you know, kind of kept making little little projects with with my friends, but you know, 
real life you gotta you gotta make money and so kind of bartending became sort of the main thing for for quite a while um and then uh at one point in time um there was this project called klondike that was shooting in calgary um and through a friend i heard that they were looking for uh background actors um and thought that was a pretty good way to get into the professional side of things and just meet people. And they were looking for Caucasian males with beards and here I am Booyah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in good company. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I got on there and, um, uh, spent a few months, um, uh, being a, a background performer. Um, and, uh, and then it was at that time that I heard about, um, Christopher Nolan coming to town uh, for at the time we didn't know what it was called, but it was the project that ended up being interstellar. Uh, and Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. So, um, I was like, I got to get on that thing. So, um, I talked to some people on set and again, being there as a background performer was very, very valuable because I was able to talk to the people that knew the people who I should go and talk to. <laughs> so, um, Got a got an interview uh, to be a locations PA, uh, which is generally how a lot of people start in the industry. And what exactly is that? So location locations is uh, is is a whole department. Uh, the locations manager will work with uh, the director and the producers and the uh, director of photography and the first assistant director, uh, work with all the top creatives basically uh, to find locations. So find things that suit. Uh, what you need, not only for the image of the movie, you know, you need a dark alleyway, uh, you need a, 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 the, the top floor in, a, in, in a, an executive suite in a building uh, overlooking the city, um, you, need a, you need a mountain, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, they'll help find the place. And it's not just about how it looks, but it's also about how functional it is yeah. for when you have trailers and you have uh, transportation and you have shuttles and crew and people to feed and all of that stuff, right? Yeah, because if you're filming on the side of a mountain, you can't just go anywhere. A lot of logistical difficulties come from that. It's actually, it's one of my favorite things to do, actually. It's super fun, but it is very difficult. Um, and... Uh, so that's what the locations manager will do. Uh, the assistant locations manager below him uh, will often be um, securing like permits and stuff like that. And there's usually another assistant locations manager that is on set, helping to run everything on, on set. The locations team below that, which is the uh, trainee locations manager, as well as locations PA, PA standing for production right. assistant. The locations production assistant, generally what they do is they uh, they direct people around, uh, they they park vehicles, uh, they manage all of the all of the waste on set, all of the garbages are all managed by them, uh, as well as make sure that um, uh, you know like when it's snowy out that there's like gravel on the ground that people can walk on, make sure that it's not icy, so they keep things safe that way, um, and uh, just just generally hold down the fort as it, as it were. And to be honest, they do not get enough credit for what they do. They're the lowest paid and the hardest working. Um, and, uh, and shout out to locations PAs. They're the best. They're absolutely the best. Um, they, they really run the show without those guys. Nothing else exists. You can have all the ideas in the world to bring your helicopter in here, but if you don't have a place to land it, which is going to be secured by your locations team, you're not getting a helicopter in there. Your grandiose ID idea can just, fuck right off. Can I swear here? Oh yeah. I'm going to swear. That's all right. That's fucking great. <laughs> um, so I 
was uh, lucky enough to get a position as locations PA on on Interstellar and was just just over the moon, dude. I bet excited That's to awesome. be to be working with like one of my idols. You know what I mean? And um, <laughs> first time, first time. I didn't. I want to say the first time I met him. I didn't even like really meet him, but like we, we, there was just like a little like pre like a camera test day happening and. Um, and you know, I didn't. I didn't even know where the washroom was, so I had to ask somebody. And they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a little, uh, there's a little two holer over there." And uh, you know, I go and and open up the door, and like, there's Christopher Nolan, going pee. And I'm like, "This is, this is not exactly how I wanted to do this." You know what I mean? Like, I can't even shake his hand right now because that's awkward. He hasn't washed them yet. I don't care about that, but he might. And like, yeah, if you're too eager to shake his hand right now, excuse me, sir. <laughs> don't please don't wash so please. you know i just uh i settled for just holding the door open for him and 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 that was it but nevertheless it was still just stoked i was like christopher nolan just walked right by me i just i just walked in on him on the washroom which i should be embarrassed about but i'm actually just stoked about it you're like i'm using the same urinal as yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous so ridiculous but i mean it's, it's, it's super exciting right super exciting and as as the years go on you work with uh, a lot of people that are in the limelight and a lot of big names and everything. Um, and there's a sense of, there's a sense of real kind of like normalization that comes from that. Um, you're sort of humbled to see that like everybody is just, everybody's just human. Everybody is just here to do really good work yep. and, uh, and, and to, um, uh, to, to, to bring get, it to life, to get through it and bring it to life. Cause it's like, it's a, it's, it's always a struggle. It's always difficult. It doesn't matter what the budget level is. Um, you know, it's whether it's a hundred million dollars or whether it's $250,000, I've done both. They're equally as difficult. It's just that you've just got either more toys or more people to sort of deal with, depending on, on, on yeah. what your level is a bigger schedule. They are, they're all difficult in their own ways, but everybody is there, uh, just to, just to do their best work or at least they should be most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's uh it's 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 an interesting ride um and but it's 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 cool when when you can when you can be in the room with some of these top players and you know they're just they're they're just treating you as 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 a uh, as an equal and and as somebody that's there to uh to do a great job it's, yeah it's cool it's cool so it, it's you don't you don't get starstruck as much anymore uh but they're yeah, still out there. There's still those names out there that I still don't want to walk into in a urinal. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be able to shake their hands. Have yeah. you met divas along the way? I mean, have you? Oh, yes. Of course. Of course. They're, they're in, and you know what's funny? They're in every profession. Yep. And it doesn't matter. And, and also every level too. I will say, however, far, far, far fewer. It's far more rare to run into uh, the divas, then you might expect with people coming from, you know, Silver Spoon, Hollywood, what have you, right? Um, inflated ego. I mean, all of that stuff, of course, exists. Uh, but realistically, the people that get the people that get to those levels are are the people that actually don't act like divas because nobody likes working with them. Fair. And I mean, I've run into locations PA that are divas too. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like it, it doesn't matter what level you're at; they're always going to be there. But like I say, it's actually exceedingly rare and far rarer than you would expect. Yeah, I don't, I'm just even thinking back to the 
divas in the high school play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're out there, right? And I mean, it's just, it's just a type of person, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what industry you're in. You know, this, uh, you know, this, this, this hotel that we're in, there's, there's divas here for oh, sure. Yes. There's some manager or, you know, somebody, <laughs> takes there's, there's a cook somewhere. It, totally. And that's all that it is, right. Is, is, is kind of taking yourself seriously. And yet at the same time, you know, sometimes I understand that like people that take themselves too seriously, they're obviously doing it for a reason. And sometimes it might come off that, you know, maybe they're power tripping or whatever, but I like to give them them the benefit of the doubt that they just they just care a lot yeah so if you can come at it from a perspective of like how do i how do i if if this person cares so much about this how do i how do i help them do a good job yeah right even if there's somebody that is you know above me you know how, how do i how do i help i just want to help and that's that's generally what that's generally what we try to do in, uh, you know, in my department as as assistant directors, which is a, a whole department that is essentially involved with the logistics and um, and communication and scheduling, um, and then execution of uh, all of the technical aspects on set. It's, it's it's running set, and it's just like tensions can get really high a lot of the time, and you just got to think like it's so easy to fight and to butt heads with people. But you just got to think like, how do I, this person cares. They obviously care. They wouldn't be getting yeah. mad if they don't care. So how do I help? How do I show, how do I show that I also care and that we're like on the same team? Right. It's uh, it's fun. It's a, it's, it's a good time. I don't always think it on the day, but it's, it's fun. But I mean, it's just, like I say, every, every single project is difficult and everybody cares. Cause if you don't care, you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't be there. And and it's not, and I'm not even saying like, you know, you don't care about the project, get out. I'm just saying like, this is really hard work and it's not worth it for you. Yeah. If, if you're, if, if you're not all into it, right. That, and you might end up in someone else's way. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah. So how long have you been in the industry then? Um, well, I guess I, right I would, I would yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would consider that interstellar experience probably was, was my first sort of official in the, in the professional union side of things. Um, and that would have been 2013, I guess. And then in, in my that movie, what, it did come out in 2013. Or, yeah, well, it would have come out, I think it came out in 14. I think it came out in 14. Um, actually maybe even 15, but I was working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they would have shot all over the world for six months and then they would have spent another, you know, year editing it. Maybe it did come out 15. I can't quite remember. But, yeah, it it did come out while I was working on um, The Revenant, which was kind of the next big one that I did, which was 2014 and 2015. Uh, and that was the first show that I did in as as an AD, as an assistant director. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a that was a really long project. That was like 10 10 months long, I think in, uh, in Alberta. And then they actually ended up going to Argentina to finish up the, the last leg of it. Yeah. And what was that position like? Uh, so yeah, that was as a, as a trainee assistant director. Um, so for, for those out there that don't know what ADs do, um, the way that I like to think about it is essentially the, the director is in charge of all of the creative aspects of the film. Um, the first assistant director is sort of tied at the hip with the director to take their creative vision and uh, and translate it into all of the technical requirements uh, in order to achieve it. So if the director's like, 
you know, I want a guy uh, to uh, ride through here on a horse, and then he's going to get shot by an arrow in the chest, and then he's going to fall off of that horse. When he falls off of that horse, he's going to fall into uh, into a fire there, and then the fire is going to plume up, and it's going to be super exciting, and that's our shot. Mm-hmm. So the first AD would take that and go like, okay, well, we're going to have a guy on a horse, so that has to be a stunt guy. Um, we have to decide what kind of what kind of horse is he riding. Uh, does the director want to have specific colors? Does the DP want it to be a white horse, a dark horse, a brown horse? What what, what are we looking at there? Uh, do we have to get horse makeup people involved? Yes, that's a thing. Um, <clears throat> do we? Uh, he's going to get hit by an arrow. So is that arrow going to be uh, CG? Um, is it going to be uh, a a vest that we put on him? Uh, from costumes that has like a little arrow sticking out of it uh, that we're just going to CG the arrow hitting, but we want to have something physical there. Um, uh, if we want that vest, we're going to have to get the person fitted to have that vest and get costumes working on that because they'll have to build it from scratch. Um, and they're just going to fall off the horse. Uh, he's a stunt guy, so that's okay. Now we got to make it safe. So is the, um, let's talk to set deck. Is the fire going to have like rocks around it? Was it like a campfire? If it is, if he's going to fall onto those rocks, those have to be foam rocks. So we'll have to get special effects and the set deck department working to make those rocks safe. Uh, we know that we want the fire First of all, there's got to be a fire. Um, so special effects is going to have to maybe run like a little propane line in there, or uh, maybe it's just CG for making it easier. Uh, we know that that fire is going to have to plume up. So uh, let's figure out how to make that happen with special effects and make it all safe for everybody. Uh, the costume that he's wearing, if he's going to be falling into real fire, that's got to be fire retardant. So that'll be another build that we got to talk to costumes about. Etc. 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 And then I haven't even talked about the camera. Do we have the camera in the air? Like, are we doing a crane shot? What? How are we? Are we riding with them? You know, do is is it uh, is it a steady cam thing? Um, and that's something that the DP will figure out with his team. And then we take all of those pieces, and then um, put it into our schedule. And then uh, figure out, you know, how long is that shot going to take? Well, it's quite a bit of business in there. He's got to go. We might have to do resets. That might be that might be three hours maybe to get that shot. Are we doing multiple angles? Um, For what would the length of that shot possibly be? 10 seconds? No, that's way too long. <laughs> two, two seconds. Oh, Max. man. Dun, 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 arrow, boom. Like two, <laughs> two seconds. Jesus. And that'll be, you know, however many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Detailed oriented work. And that's movies. And that's why <laughs> like shit. man, like you say you know the saying it takes a village. <laughs> no motherfucker. It takes a city. It yeah. takes a city. <laughs> oh man. hmm So that's what that's what the first A D will do. And then um I, I won't bore people with the details, but essentially the uh Oh, I guess I will because I'm about to get into it. So the the second A D <laughs> will essentially make what's called a call sheet, which is a document that has everybody's uh, start times on it, uh, as well as what you're shooting that day, all of the additional labor required for that day so that the production managers and accounting can all track it. Um, But it essentially has the work that you're doing that day and everything that's required on that day. And then the second AD will also be planning out the uh, sort of like second and third and more days because the first AD on day one will be running all of that stuff. So they can't be... Uh, they can't be running um, that and they, track they can't be planning out future days. The the second AD will take the first AD's plan that um, is in prep for everything that's uh, being shot on a day by day basis, um, and then we'll 
sort of extrapolate and expand that out into more specific details and requirements and then issue that call sheet every day that tells everybody when to show up to work and what we're doing, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, the third AD uh, will be managing the trailers. Um, the trailers, uh, he'll essentially be landing the cast in the morning and getting them into hair and makeup and wardrobe, making sure that the cast is ready on time. Um, and, uh, and then there's what was called a trainee AD and I think is now starting to be called a fourth AD, um, who is usually will be on set, uh, working with the first AD, um, to just help run and manage set. And they're usually in charge of all the radios as well, uh, as well as, um, uh, distributing, uh, documents, new scripts that come out when that was a hard copy thing, a lot of it is digital now, but um, if people want hard copies of things, as well as just like simple accounting stuff, timesheets, all that kind of thing. Um, Office-y stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so that um, was your position. So that was my position on The Revenant. Yeah. Okay. We finally landed on where, where, how we got here. Yes, that's right. Trainee AD, that was my position. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, on the Revenant, and uh, since I'm I'm currently a uh, a second AD um, in the Directors Guild of Canada, which is our union uh, for the AD department as well as locations, um, and uh, and I also first um, second units, first AD second units as well as uh, indies as well. So second AD slash first AD, depending on the budget level, basically. Cool. And then I guess how do you get those credentials through the union? Like you just kind of apply the job or yeah, network you, you the essentially right way. yeah you 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 basically just you work in the position you get x amount of days and then you get upgraded to that position within the union and then getting getting the work is really I mean you can you can send your resume out to productions talk to production managers but it's a it's a relatively small community anyway really in Canada yeah. but specifically in Alberta it's a pretty small community so essentially you just you work with people they like working with you when they got another project coming up they give you a call you there go you on board or you um in years like um in busier years like 2021 when we had um, Last of Us Under the Banner of Heaven, Joe Pickett, we had a bunch of productions that were all happening at the same time. A lot of crew is coming in from Vancouver or from uh, the States to work here. That happens very frequently in Alberta because we just don't have the crew base to crew 100% from here. Um, as well as, you know, if you have a, if you've got sort of a... Um, a DP that has a little bit more swing is a little bit higher up there. Um, then, you know, they might want a specific grip that is from New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, they might want specific people and, you know, production makes that happen for them because they're, um, they're after getting the best projects that they possibly can. Um, so, uh, when there's, when there's busier, when the, when the crew here is all kind of working, then when productions come in from out of town, then they will just go to, um, uh, either um, word of mouth in the sense of they'll usually have a local producer or production manager that is uh, working with them. So they'll ask them, hey, who's available? And then uh, from there, phone calls slash they might go through union lists as well. Availability is generally, generally available online through the union's websites. So they'll just go down the list, look to see who's available, send out some phone calls, run an interview process. Pretty classic. But for the most part, it's networking and, and word of mouth. You work with somebody, they like working with you, they hire you again. That's about it. Typically how it goes. Typically how it goes, yeah. So don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in any regard. Yeah. 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 So what about you? 
Me? Let's talk about you, Zachary. We've been talking about me for so long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do this for fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fantastic so far. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot. It's only been about know, six months or so now. Six months of doing this podcast? Yeah. Nice. And keeps trucking along. Yeah. And, and you you have a background in comedy, right? Yeah. I do stand-up as well. Right. So my previous guest, <laughs> we were just talking a lot about that. Yeah. Kind of going back and forth. Uh yeah, I got into stand-up. Well, I guess I moved to Red Deer coming on 10 years ago now. Okay. And then... Where from? Prince Edward Island. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, came out here to do my apprenticeship as a motorcycle mechanic. And I loved stand-up growing up. But growing up on the island, it was never really a thing. I, like, I didn't... There might have been... Uh, like, Just for Laughs might have came through uh, the Confed Center or something. You know, the theater once a year type deal. But even then, I would have been too young to really attend them. So I never really looked out for it because it was always just something that happened on the TV. And when I got out here, I went and saw Kenny versus Benny at Bose. Oh. And I was like, man, this is going to be great. I had just, I think I had been in town for like two weeks. I didn't know anyone, just went by myself, sat at the bar, had a great time. But they had some locals opening up. And one guy was up there. I was like, I'm funnier than that guy. And he's opening up for my like childhood heroes for as dumb as they may be. I was like, so it was still took me about nine months before. Uh, well, I talked to the openers after the show, kind of figured out what I should do and how to get into it. And then, yeah, it was nine months later. Uh, I got on stage and it went well. So from the time that you decided that you wanted to do it, it was nine months Till you actually stepped up on stage. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So were you like, were you just terrified before no, then, or no, were you just was... were you were you preparing and getting like a getting like a tight five together or something? Well, it was that too because it was understanding like what are the requirements and also kind of forgot about it for a little bit, but let it. I, I'm slow when it comes to uh, coming through with my ideas. They sit in my head for a while. Uh, like this was something that I had thought about for a few years. Yeah. And I, I don't typically push it there's the right time well there's no right there's no right time it's just go do it and uh but with stand-up because i had moved out here for the uh for my job i was really focused on that initially so that ate up most of my time uh and then as it turns out i enjoyed stand-up more than my job (laughs) which is which is great i mean it's like How, how, how could you not? I mean, unless you were just like terrified up there, which you had to be anyway. Actually, the first time I wasn't. Were you not? No, really? Because I had previously like played in bands. I had been on stage okay, before. Okay, so you were used to having like stage yes, presence. Yeah, and there was a few times during my childhood where, oh my gosh, it was like an aunt's wedding. And I had forgotten that she had asked me to say grace. Oh. At, and the other thing was though, uh, the wedding, I was supposed to do it in French. Oh. Yeah. So I just went up there and improv the shit out of this <laughs> prayer in French. And then, like, the groom's, like, aunts were coming up and telling me how lovely it was and this stuff afterwards. And that, like, those were the terrifying moments. Right, yeah. Of, of that. But the other thing was, I was a terrible student in the sense that I did not prepare for most presentations mm-hmm. or anything. And just got really comfortable of like, if I get through this, I'm happy. Or if it, or then there was the other side of how silly 
can I make this presentation and how much effort, like over the top effort to just be dumb about this thing. Right. Yeah. So it, it was a good mix of, I honestly don't care that I'm bombing in class right now versus I'm going to, I'm just going to have a good time with this. Yeah. And, and I don't care how stupid I look. This is just what it's going to be. You know, sometimes, and I, so, I don't know if it was the same thing for you, but it's like, sometimes I feel like it's, it's, if you can make something really silly, mm-hmm. then you don't, you're kind of shielding yourself from oh, having to do a good job and be serious about yeah. it. Right. Because yeah. it's like, that's sort of more vulnerable than making a joke out of something. Mm. And yet you can still get like the accolades from the audience. Well, it was, I always enjoyed the, there was a few projects where I was able to just really pull where I, the, the material was spot on as well. Like the silliness was there, but I nailed everything educationally ah, as it should have been. Nice. So like that, that was always the favorite one when you get pull something like that off. Yeah. But the rest of the time it's just like, oh, I'm going to write this paper 40 minutes before class. Yeah. I was, dude, I, was, I, was, I was just, I was just as bad, honestly. Like I, I mentioned that I was, uh, you know, I got good grades in English. I, I loved it, but I would always do my essays like the night before, and I didn't. I didn't want to do rough drafts. And that was the funny thing. Uh, as soon as you said you were really you, like what did well in English, mm-hmm. it wasn't until that I got to university, and I had the same mentality. All I, I think, like, I didn't have anything lower than an eighty. Yeah. On on any of my English papers. Yeah. And some of the best marks I ever had, high nineties and stuff. From shit that I was just pulling out of my ass. Just winging it. I know. I had the same experience. (laughs) Just winging it. And I'm like, this is actually a bad lesson for me to learn. Because like, sure, it's nice to be good at winging it. But it's like, also prep is always going to make things better. Mm. But... I mean, but it's that, nice to know you can chew from the hip, I guess. Well, then it, uh, <laughs> it came full circle years later. Now I've been in stand-up for a few years. Yeah. And I got an opportunity to go down to Calgary for, it was a, a teacher's conference, like their per, their training days or whatever. And so a few thousand teachers in Calgary. And I didn't realize, like, they could pick which seminars they wanted to go to and whatnot. So there was a, a I think he's a teacher or sub down in Calgary who also does stand-up. So he was able to throw, like, a mid-afternoon comedy show and have it based around like your experience as a student. Oh, wow. And so finally got to pull out. I, I went up there. I said, I'm going to treat this exactly like I treated every presentation in high school. I didn't prepare. Yeah. And that was like, they're sold. Yeah. No, like, let's be honest here. And it was great because I did get to talk about, like, you know, just kind of went through each grade and the experiences you have with teachers and friends like that. And, yeah. And kind of made all the pops. But then got to end on the worst thing that I, or the most important thing that I learned in school was that teachers can be the biggest bullies. Yeah. And after going off on that, walking, because it was like a long corridor and it's probably like 200 teachers in there. And the amount of teachers who wouldn't make eye contact with me and the ones who were like fist bumping me on the way out was hilarious because it split the room because it's like the ones who know you know you're an asshole and you know you're just holding shit over kids you're just pushing kids around telling them what to do oh man because i loved fighting like not fighting teachers but yeah but uh do you have a problem with authority zachary (laughs) i'm i have a problem with people not being fair Mm. i don't have a problem with authority 
in most regards, it's being fair. Yeah. And that's what always killed me. Yeah. Because you go, there was, and we we were fucking doing a lot of shady stuff behind the scenes in high school too. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> we would just hang out on the stage, like the main stage in the cafeteria, yeah. curtains closed, and we would eat our lunch behind it, which typically wasn't allowed, but... Uh, like my friend, it was the guys that we all played in a high school band in. We basically were just like the AV kids. So like we had our own office, we had an Xbox set up in there and that's where we would just hide out. Yeah. Right. And so we just hang out there and then teachers would use the stage as a shortcut to get from like some back hall to the cafeteria quick. Yeah. Not a problem. Teachers coming in, in and out all the time. They don't say anything to us. Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah. And then this one teacher goes, she goes, you know, you're not allowed to be back here. I was like, why not? And she goes, you, you're not. She goes, you need permission from this person. And I said, okay. And I went and got permission from like everyone involved. And they're just like, yeah, not a problem. So next day she comes through, she goes, what are you doing? I said, everyone said it was okay. She goes, that's not right. And just walked away. And I'm like, bitch, go yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> like. That's it's so that, sorry. I, I, oh, I just, I have not a problem going out of my way to like, if someone's going out of their way to be an asshole, I have not a problem to go out of my way to put them in their place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I've always, I've always had an issue with, because I said so. Yes. That has, it's, it's just never, ever, ever worked for me. Like I, like if I'm doing something and it's a problem. If you can explain to me why it's a problem, and 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 I and I see your point. Maybe even if I don't agree, but I, I see your point and I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Then okay, we can have a conversation, yeah. and you know maybe I'll stop doing that thing or whatever. Try. But I just I never ever ever like like well that it, that's against the rules. I'm like well what are the rules in place for? It's like well for 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 everybody to make sure you can't climb that fence because you can fall off and hurt yourself. And I'm like, that makes total sense for people that aren't confident in climbing that fence. That's I can 100% exactly climb that it. fence. Oh. And furthermore, if I climb that fence and I fall off, I'm not going to blame you. I take full responsibility myself. Now can I climb the fence? No, I'm going to climb the fence now. <laughs> okay, watch I me. Think, I, think, I think we've talked this through enough, and then I would get in trouble. And this, but, but again, I was just like, I still don't feel like this is in the wrong. Like yeah. I wasn't endangering anybody but myself. And I'm accepting that risk. Like I'm, I'm not an idiot. I, I know what I'm doing here. And I, 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 and I just, it is just that whole, because I said so thing, like, cause that's the rules that just, Man. that doesn't fly with me. I don't, I, I can't do that. I can't yeah. compute it. Uh, I work in construction now and it is painful Yeah, sometimes because depending on what site you're on, you know, it's re some places are like reasonable. Yeah. You know, this is in place for these specific reasons right You're doing some sketchy shit yeah like don't fuck around and other times it's like well a guy in the shop you know in saskatchewan bumped his head yeah so it, now back in 2016 exactly yeah. and now this is and you're like that has nothing to do with what yeah. we're doing now yeah like but i gotta wear this yeah like yeah. yes yes you do like because that's that's protocol yeah because that guy <laughs> fucked up yeah and I don't like, I'm like, can I not take a competency test? Or, right, yeah. Or some, something. Something. Yeah, yeah. Something. Because that's like, oh, can, yeah. Well, like, I, I tried. Can the, you just trust me a little bit? Uh, yeah. 
Because I was trying to make the point to a guy one day. I was like, so if you get, so if I went out this weekend and I got a DUI, would it be fair for you to lose your license on Monday when we came to work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Now nobody drives. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's allowed to drive. You're not allowed to, he fucked up. Because we just realized that this can happen. What? Exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know it's and and that is I mean that that is a good point. <laughs> some things can get really ridiculous. It's actually I mean it's it's something that I run into a, a lot in the film industry because generally speaking the the, uh, the ads are the ones who are in charge of safety, mm-hmm. and we can be um, uh, what is the word Le- legally um, uh, liable? Yeah, yeah, um, and I mean you know you saw that with the whole brutally tragic incident that happened with um uh with wow now that name's slipping my brain alex uh alex baldwin alec baldwin oh yes yes um with with alec baldwin like that whole situation and it was like the 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 first ad in in that situation was found i guess partially liable right um i mean first of all you you just you never and i don't know exactly what happened i read a lot of articles how can you ever really know um but if uh you know, if there's a gun on set, that gu- there's an armor for that weapon, whether it's a rubber gun or whether it is uh, a gun that has been disabled so that it cannot fire, or whether it's a real gun, because all three can be on a film set. The one thing that is never on a film set is live ammunition. That uh. has that has no place. That is no reason to be there. Um, in the past, uh, I think even with like the incident with um, uh, Brandon Lee on the Crow. Yeah. Um, a way to make dummy rounds is to buy live rounds and remove the powder and remove the primer uh, or strike the primer rather and disable it um, and uh, and 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 make a make a fake dummy round. So like when you're looking in, if you have a camera facing down the barrel of a revolver in the cylinder of the revolver, you want to see the bullets there because otherwise, especially if you're holding on that shot for a while, you'll see that that weapon is not loaded and now <laughs> you start looking at yeah, it. Yeah. And, like, and now there is something that removes you as an audience member out of the illusion of the film. So you don't want that. So how do you achieve uh, that realism? Well, you got to have a bullet in there, but so, you know, back in the it's day, gotta there be was, safe. it's got to be safe. Right. But like, and that is a way, that is a way to, um, to make dummy rounds for yourself instead of buying them from a prop shop somewhere or renting them. Uh, but, that should not happen on set. It should not happen anywhere near set. There's there's no reason for live ammunition to be on set at all, ever. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a series of issues that happen there. But the first AD was partially liable in that scenario. And that is, that I mean, that makes sense. Because when you have somebody who is, you know, the first AD is, is, is running the whole show. They're running the set. Um, and so it, it is, it is, is partially our job to make sure that everything is, is very safe for everybody. Um, when there's bigger, um, sequences that are happening, then stunt coordinators generally take over. They're the safety guys. Um, and you know, first ADs will usually kind of hand it off to them when they're dealing with their stunt guys and, you know, you're flipping a car or whatever, right? Then it becomes between the special effects and the stunt coordinator, uh, to make sure that everything is safe because they're the experts on that. They know more about it than the first AD will. Um, but it's uh, that that's something that we're always thinking about on set, right? Is how to do things because we do we do wild shit a lot of the time, but we have to think about how to do it safely, um, because there's at the end of the day, it's it's just a movie, man. Like it's, <laughs> there's no reason to do some crazy shit that you're that 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 is going to get you killed or or hurt. But at the same time, we're we're doing some cool crazy shit that is worth doing. Um, 
so if you can figure out a way to do it as safe as humanly possible, um, you know, and have all the right people sign off on it, then, you know, yeah, sure. Go on the cliff on the side of a mountain and, you know, strap somebody up to a safety line and, you know, get them looking like they're hiking, but you can also fake a lot of stuff too in yeah. film, right? So you always kind of got to think, do we have to be doing the crazy thing or is there a way that we can do it where it doesn't have to be as risky, right? Always mitigate the risk, keep yeah. everything as safe as possible. It's one of the things we're always thinking about. And I heard something like Tom Cruise couldn't get insurance from any insurance company so he had to start his own insurance company to I mean, be able to do his stunts i i don't know about that <laughs> but like that actually sounds like it could be right because he always wants to do his own stunts right and it's like how much do you have to insure a guy that's worth that much money for right like who wants to who wants to take that risk <laughs> yeah apparently if you got five mil kicking around you it's can start like, an insurance company it's like tom you don't have to strap yourself to the side of a plane and he's like no, no i'm don't. gonna do it <laughs> i know i don't I'm, that's why i want to do that's, it i'm gonna do it yeah <laughs> talk about a guy that doesn't like to hear because i said so <laughs> well, yeah no do things safely yeah yeah be trained properly safe as humanly possible get and the I mean, experts in yeah yeah absolutely it's 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 cool man i mean i was um i was recently working on uh working on a on on a movie that was shooting in Fortress Mountain and we had like we had stunt guys on snowmobiles and they're flipping them over and like snowmobile chase and drones and helicopters with like a gun shooting out of it obviously all blanks and all very up to snuff but like man like it's we do some really really cool it's still shit fun someday. it's still fun right yeah. so it's like like it's, i say it's, it's all, like it's all make believe i do say like oh keep it as safe as possible but i mean there's also like there was that thing you know, after after that Alec Baldwin incident, um, you know, there was sort of a a push to make all fire, like all guns and all uh, like you know the the flame that comes out of a gun, which doesn't actually happen, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's added or well, you have to yeah. because think about it. If you saw watch an action scene without the muzzle flash on it. It doesn't. It almost doesn't make sense. Like you almost you can't see people pulling a trigger. Yeah. So like you you you'll just see like you see recoil. It's like it's actually like the 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 spectacle of it. You you actually need to have that. And now we've been programmed to see it. So if you don't see a muzzle flash in a picture, uh, then it looks like a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of have to have it now, right? But there was a push to have like maybe all of that should be CG, but it's uh, you know there's there's challenges to that and it's difficult and I don't think it's actually necessary. Blanks, blanks are helpful, especially for uh, even for performance, right? Like for for an actor to be to react to a gunshot, mm. um, to feel recoil in the gun, to see that recoil happen, you have to have an explosion in there you have to you have to have that happen so it actually removes a lot of the realism and makes things even more difficult if you have all muzzle flash bcg and again just don't have live ammunition anywhere near set because there's never ever even one time a reason to have live ammunition on set i cannot say that enough (laughs) yeah yeah but it's uh it's 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 worth it to do some of the cool stuff that you see um, and I mean, I don't know about you, but like movies to me were always, were always incredibly influential. It was actually movies and, and video games yeah. were what started me down the path of wanting to be a writer and wanting to tell stories and just being so enthralled with getting, getting swept away with 
like what if you know in a world it's that whole thing it's like in a world where this could happen what does that look like and the things that are always so fascinating to me primarily are, are are actually usually like like moral dilemmas like what is the value of a life right in any given scenario mm-hmm. it's like because it's like you think about it you, you ask people like hey could like you know could could you kill somebody and your first thought is like absolutely not of course i i would never do that easily and it's like <laughs> 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 okay think most about it every time someone cuts me off in traffic in the every western time. world don't want to kill people oh oh well that's boring but anybody can be put in a scenario yeah you get pushed where to the it all of a sudden the you know the the lines become grayed right where maybe you could do that it's like well it's, is it is it to save another life is it to save your own life is it the value of one life versus a thousand lives? That's that question always just gets me. I think anything yeah. I've ever written, and you know, to be honest, it's it's a little bit. It makes me a little bit sad because I haven't, I haven't pushed myself to have the discipline to do as much writing as I I really should be doing. Writing is hard, and and like working in the film industry. I mean, I'm saying this, and it's and it's a bullshit excuse. But you work 14, 16 hours a day. You do that five days a week. On the weekends, all you're trying to do is just sleep and just get back to it. Oftentimes, we do what's called fratter days. So, you know, <laughs> earlier earlier um, in the week, you can start everybody, you know, 6, 7 a.m. And depending on whether you're shooting, uh, whether you need um, daytime or nighttime is a big uh, factor in how you're making the schedule work. Are you shooting inside, outside, nighttime, daytime? Those things. Those four things will determine where you put it within the week. So um, Mondays you usually be doing all days and then you'll sort of work into shooting nights. So if you if you need to shoot a big action sequence that all happens at night, well, you're going to be shooting at oh, night. Right. Yeah. Also, what time of year are you shooting in? Because that'll, <laughs> that'll affect that too, right? So we generally by the time we get to Friday, you know... You, we're starting at like, you know, noon, 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Depends, right? If you're shooting all night. And then you end up shooting until like the sun comes up. You shoot up up until like 4 or 6 a.m. or whatever, right? So then once you drive home um, and go to sleep, now you're waking up at 2 or 3 p.m. on a Saturday. Remember, Monday, you're going to start working at 5 or 6 a.m. again. So really, all of a sudden, your 48-hour weekend is now been trimmed down to, you know, 30 kind of thing yeah and that includes sleep so now you have a whatever you have i'm i'm not a math person again i was good at english not math uh but you know you end up having 20 hours 20 waking hours of your own time and that's about it less actually so anyway when you're working that many hours when you're working on a project and you have to work for money etc etc it becomes difficult to find the time to do writing yeah um and and to be able to have that space when you're not just plain exhausted yeah and that's that's a momentum thing i find uh you and you said it earlier discipline mm-hmm. if you can already but like to pull something like that off I, I, you'd have to already be writing pretty heavily yeah and just maintaining it yeah you know cut it back a little bit maybe not write as much but yeah yeah, especially when you're in the midst of a project, mm-hmm. that's where the momentum's at. That's where you're at. That's where the energy's going. So until that's done, I find it hard to to juggle certain things, but yeah. get getting better at it. And and honestly, just forcing yourself to do it. 
That's it. That's all that it is. That's it. Like the muse, the muse comes after the discipline. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, I'm fucking shit at discipline. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at it. I've always, I've always liked, um, just kind of being spontaneous and doing the things that I want to do when I want to do them. But if you are wanting to be productive, I, I, I've found that is, that is not the way to do it. Routine, routine is best for productivity. I did this thing. This was back now. I will say at, at this point in time, I didn't have film work going on. Um, and uh, every so often I, I hop onto the family farm and work harvest there. Uh, for a little while, I, I, uh, I, I, worked at, uh, I worked at CBC as well doing, as a promo producer there. I think that was 2015, 16. Um, at this time, I didn't have a job, but this strategy worked incredibly well. I built my whole day around writing. Um, so I knew that I wanted to write quite a bit. So I had three hours a day that I blocked off for writing. Um, and I would, I would leave my phone downstairs. I would, it was just me and the laptop and that was it. And then I worked from there because I'm really easily distractible and again, poor discipline. And, uh, you know, so you're sitting there trying to write something and you know, you look over at the sink and it's like, well, there's a few dishes there. I don't know what the fuck I'm writing down here. Anyway, I got nothing. So like, I'll just go do some dishes. Maybe some a thought. Oh, maybe the, pro the procrastination cleaning buddy. I'll do anything, anything. other than what I'm yeah, supposed like, to be I'll doing. I'll do harder shit than writing. <laughs> exactly. like, I'll go, I'll go fix my car. Let's figure out what's up with that taillight. You ever taken a taillight out before? Nope, not, not at all. I'm going to find out though. I'm going to watch 40 minutes of YouTube and then I'm going to get some tools. I got to find the tools. That I don't remember where I put them. And then it just becomes that, that, yep. uh, that Malcolm in the middle, Brian Cranston gaff, right? Like yeah. that, or that, that whole sequence, which I love so much. It's ideal. And like, I don't know if I have ADHD. I don't think I do, but I might be a candidate because if I can find something else to get my attention, I will go to that thing. So what I had to do was eliminate the possibility of needing to do all those things. I blocked time off to do those dishes. I blocked time off to do like banking and life and organization and that kind of shit. I blocked time off to work out. Oh, you just I blocked got better time, time management to read more books. Yes, but yeah. I made it specific. Like from eight thirty to nine thirty was like coffee and contemplation, which I got from Stranger Things. Which I think is a great term. Coffee and contemplation followed by. Uh, you know, like a 45 minute workout followed by showering. I blocked time off to shower. I had 25 minutes to shower. So it was like every little thing I blocked time off for. But what, what that allowed me to do, you know, the thought of it seemed restrictive. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I have to do a specific thing at this time. Go fuck yourself. Like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow your, you know, your, your conformed idea of what my life should be. Because and I was like, I Steve, so. <laughs> I'm you, I'm talking to you. It's, I, it's not somebody else telling you to do something. It's, it's you. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Well that, that, that's fine then I guess. And what that allowed me to do is I actually, I found that I had more time in the day because I was able to accomplish all of the things that I wanted to do because I blocked time off for them. It works really, 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 really well. And for about three months, I finished, I, I finished a screenplay. I got in a great shape. I read it. I read two books, like, which I hadn't read in forever. Cause I'm just scrolling on my phone or whatever. Right. But I like, I accomplished all the things that I wanted to do now again, caveat, I didn't have a job at the time. So I had all the time in the world, but you but used it wisely, very wisely. And I, I, I've been meaning to get back to that. And now it's like, you know, I've got, um, 
you know, I've got, I've got two dogs. Uh, we've got an, an acreage that, you know, we have to maintain and manage. Um, so it's like, I, I have less overall time than I had at that time. But I think all that that means is just take all the things that I want to do. And instead of doing each one of those things every day, just expand it out to a week and make different, you know, maybe I don't have an hour to take care of my bills and my car insurance and all that every single day, but I have it on Tuesday at this time. Right. So just, manage it that way but that's essentially all it is it's just time management and if i had that time management it allowed me to be disciplined i didn't really have to be disciplined all that i had to do was just follow the plan and the plan was intuitive and the plan was easy because again it allowed me to do everything that I wanted to do. And when I would be looking at my laptop and looking at those dishes, I'd be like, no, go fuck yourself. You actually have time to do those dishes later. So not only are you not allowed to, but also reinforced with, don't worry, you're going to. So it's like, now I don't have an excuse. Now, now I just have to sit here because everything's taken care of. Fuck. <laughs> but it worked. It worked really well. I'd like to get back to doing that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do it? How how does your when you when you're coming up with a with like new bits, like how how do you stay disciplined? So the writing process uh has changed since I started. And it used to in the beginning it was sit down, you know, like idea pops in, sit down, write it out and and stare at the sheet of paper until it, it you know, it kind of fell into place. Go out on stage, try it that didn't work come back rework it go out try it again all right a little bit better and it was, stand up is a lot of trial and error yeah um but now lately the last couple of years i haven't actually sat down and written anything in a long time it is just now floating in the brain what and it's up in the ether of your brain and it doesn't come out until you're on stage yep what they're like trust me i'll think about it like through whenever I'm doing whatever it may be, you have some beautiful mind on you. Zachary. I don't know about that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's cause, and, and it's more, uh, I'll take notes. Like if I have to write, like if there's something, um, like something pops in my head, Oh, like, oh that could work as a premise. I might write it down, but I also try not to do that now. And I want it to float around up there for as long as possible. Try it on stage because it's if I can actually remember it, then it's probably something that I, that's genuine to me. And I've got this, it, it keeps popping up for a reason. Oh, that, uh, that's the filter. If you remember it, it's worth saying on stage. Yeah, kind of. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I actually, I can't argue with that because there's, that's, that's actually not bad. Yeah. Risky for me. I have a terrible memory, by the way. So it never worked for somebody like me, but that's, that's kind of cool. And trust me, because sometimes it backfires mm -hmm. where I'll be thinking about it right before going on stage. I'll get halfway through a set and be like, or I'll finish the set. And I'll go, fuck, I didn't say that one thing. Mm. So that's that's been the hiccup as of late. Right. Is if there's something new that I really want to try out, like I should be taking uh, just like a, a coaster with it written on or, or something up just as a prompt, just to make sure that I get it in. Because then it's also the muscle memory of actually saying it. And because I was realizing if I'm just thinking it all the time, when I, if I'm just saying it on stage for the first time, it's kind of a fumble. Right. It might come out as some, some word salad a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's a point, you know, work through it a little bit. 
do but, uh, like um but, like but at some point uh like cuz uh, eventually I will write it all out but that will be like a a 20 minute set right and that will just to be sh- just to sharpen it up yeah and make one bit flow into the other and, yeah. yeah but for right now I, i'm just letting things float but it is getting to that point where i do need to sit down pen paper and that's it yeah yeah, I not can't, not I, a bad not a bad problem to have. I mean, if it's getting to that point, that means your bits are getting bigger. That means you're getting bigger sets, right? Yeah, yeah. I and, well, I'm it's guessing. a new because I I basically dropped all my old material after uh, COVID, or I'm trying to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need a life raft to yeah. <laughs> cling on to. Fair enough. But push and it, that's the the next part of the push is to leave that old stuff behind, and you have to lean into the new stuff. Are you going, uh, you know, high school English with it where you kind of shoot from the hip most of the time? Or do you, do you rehearse? Like, how do you, how do you prepare? At, like, after, once the writing is done, but you're just like... Then it's just getting out and doing shows. Yeah. You, yeah. Just, you just get out there. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. That's the best place. Right. If you can record a set and watch it back uh, and kind of, you know, critique yourself, you have to be your biggest critic. Right, yeah. You ha- and that's honestly something that I really enjoy, too. I had a really good set in... Uh, calgary a few years ago and it was just a five minute set but like it was tight and everything landed i got off stage and buddy was like that was perfect and i said no i mispronounced one word (laughs) (laughs) you're your worst critic you have to be Mm -hmm. yeah and like it was good it was good but i that's you got to hold yourself accountable yeah because there's i find a lot of people who just think everything they do is good right and oh, that's how how blessed to be living in that delusion, oh, though, right? Man. You know what I mean? Like, is life a little bit easier if you think that way? <laughs> I don't. But I mean, I'm sure there was a time in my life where I did. I was like, I shit gold. Everything is great. <laughs> Everything I do is great. I'm awesome. Yeah. And that was nice. It was yeah. nice to feel that way. I don't anymore. And your work will get better if you do critique it. It has to. It has exactly. to. Exactly. Well, that's the point but of critiquing But you can go it. a little bit overboard on that too, right? Like you well, can... that's the thing. I also don't hate myself. <laughs> you, you, you also have to be that's your another, biggest supporter. That's another nice place to be <laughs> you, is to you, not hate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... Don't be delusional. Also don't hate yourself. Exactly. Find the happy medium. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It makes things very reasonable. Right. Because right. I set my own expectations. Yeah. And you know... Like when things go well, then it's on you. And if things go bad, it's on you. Yeah. Right. And it's establishing what's bad and what's, you know, yeah. what's a win. How do you, I mean, is it just, it, do they laugh? Good. If they don't laugh, bad. How, how do you do that? When well, you're that's stage? the best part about stand up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like, pretty instant. Yeah. It's, or very, no. it's very analog. It's <laughs> yeah. just on off. It's just exactly. an on off switch. Yeah. And right. very self evident, too. But do, the, you find, do you find some bits work like with some crowds and others? I mean, to a certain degree, that has to be true. But do you find it like pretty radical? Like, can you do like one bit in, you know, uh, maybe Red Deer? Uh, which is, you know, maybe a bit more of a, like a conservative crowd. And then you go to maybe Edmonton where it's like maybe a little bit less conservative and then it doesn't go off so well. Like, do you find that yeah. swings pretty wildly? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff. Here's the other thing. If say I'm not doing like all like a half hour set or something and it's just a, a five or a 10. Yeah. I've, you know, gone up to shows and go, okay, here's, this is the bit that I want to do. Or this is the material that I want to do. Then you walk into the room and you're like, I cannot do any of that. 
just by just, looking. Just you look around, looking, you're like, you go, nope, 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 nope. That's not gonna work. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even bother to try mm-hmm. because there's this fine line between being an artist of and presenting what it is that I want to do, and then uh, making sure that like you're not tanking a show. Mm-hmm. You know, still give the audience like a good time and all this stuff. And honestly, the best part is is when you can get when you feel the them lean back, the tension, the tension, and then you can get them on board. Mm-hmm. That's like that's the point. That's the win. Yeah. That's like that's the real win because yeah. you you literally just won the audience over. Yeah, on something that they resisted. Exactly, which is great. I mean, as a comedian, that has to feel like well, like it, you're it, the champion. That's not even that. That's just doing the job. That's the other thing. That's just what you're supposed to be doing. Right. If, if that doesn't happen, then you didn't quite get it. Too many people pat themselves on the back mm, and yeah. walk a big dick swinging for yeah. doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to feel good, Zachary. Come on, man. I know. It's your job. I've, I've had, you know, I've had bosses that have said that. Don't thank them for doing their job. And I actually don't agree with that. Okay. Yeah. That's different. Sure. Sure. That, that's but, <laughs> yes. But you're, you're right. You're right. It's like, <laughs> I appreciate when people do their job. That's <laughs> it's like, it's like if your father's like, yeah, my kid, he, 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 he grew up, you know, went to college. It's like, should we congratulate you? Like that was, that was the job. You, you, you kept the kid alive and. Now they're a human in the world. Exactly. Like that's that was the, that was the requirements. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was the minimum. The minimum requirements. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Do you um do you have a cohort of like other comedians that you sort of hang out with? Oh yeah, the, uh, these guys bounce and, stuff off of. Yeah, it, and like, do you live in Red Deer? I just moved to Edmonton. Gotcha. So I moved to Edmonton at the start of December. Understood. Yeah. So, but Red Deer was my base, which was great because yeah. you can bounce between Edmonton and Calgary. Right. Yeah. And honestly, like. I've being in Edmonton now, it's going to be nice to, I got to immerse myself in the scene, which is just another level of discipline. Mm-hmm. I don't get on stage if I don't show up to shows. Right. Right. Yeah. And so now that the holidays are over and settled back into work, it's just when you get home in the evening, even if I'm tired, I'm going to have to go out and, and try to eat shit. Edmonton, so, you know, I, I don't know if it's still like this, but like when I was, when I was at RDC and, you know, did theater for, um, actually three years and then three years of film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only two, uh, two year programs by the way. So, you know, do the math on that. There's a couple extra years in there. Um, I really found that, um, Edmonton had a far superior performing arts scene, uh, to Calgary. And I, I, I believe that's probably still the case. Um, like music, music and theater performing arts up in Edmonton is just a plus it's there's so much of it there's so much more happening mm-hmm. than in calgary it's like i don't know if it's like a blue collar white collar thing or what the deal is but do you still find there's a lot of opportunity up there um and is it is it a more receptive crowd artsy crowd uh so just to go back to your previous question yes the group of comedians that i yes. kind of came up with here in red deer i'm supr- i'm grateful how much of uh friends we are outside of comedy like we don't just see each other at shows you you know got real close they're my friends whether we're doing comedy or not so i really appreciate that them for that um and then honestly i find i haven't done a show in calgary in a while now but i know the scene's going really well down there and i found as i was coming up 
because uh, being in Red Deer, it was great because I could literally do Edmonton one night and then Calgary the next. It's fantastic. It's you. You get both crowds each place. It. I found it more dependent on where you're performing. Is where you get that that shift of perspective. The venue specifically, kind of. You know, whether it's a bar show and it's the kind of people that come out to the bar show versus Ooh. versus if you're doing, you know, a Wednesday show at a club. You know, so that's that's just kind of it. But at the same time, going back to that idea of knowing what material is not going to work or just being, you know, you throw a joke out there as a litmus test and then you can adjust appropriately. And a lot of guys... Well, no, no, I can't even say it. No, not a lot. It's just, I think, uh, an important skill for a comedian to develop is that self-awareness of when to switch gears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I said. The, the, and to have a gear to switch to. Yeah. Also. You know, that, that feedback is instant. Yeah. And I think I'm very fortunate in the sense of going, not, I don't have that stage fright. Mm-hmm. You know, it's public speaking is not an issue. And so I tend to adjust my expectations to like, I, I try not to really be critical about other comedians, but you can tell when a room's not laughing. Yeah. And then when, if you have to follow that, well, that's just more work for you now. But it's the, uh, the expectation of what your expectations are versus what their expectations are. And a few years ago, uh, my buddy, Tyler Walleen, Mutant Man, and I, we were hosting an open mic at the uh, comic book shop Chronicles that was downtown Red Deer. Oh, yeah. And that was fan... It, did I, did, it was a spoken word open mic, to be specific. Uh, and honestly, my job was just to set the bar low. Because... <laughs> So you just go in there and breathe and sweat heavily well, and no, stare no, at everyone? No, like, just, as, as far as <laughs> letting people know, like, it's a good space to just do whatever, like, say whatever you want and all this stuff. And right. Because I forget how difficult public speaking is for people. Right. Where it comes so naturally to you. Exactly. And sometimes, you, you know, you get guys, big dick swicking, uh, swinging up on there. And it's not a problem for them. Whatever. It's their show now take it over, do what they want kind of deal, whatever. But then there's some other people who it's their first time speaking into a microphone and they're reading poetry that they've never showed anyone. And it's just a lot of emotion, a lot going on. And so I think too, for there's gotta be some level of comedian coming up with that. You know, they're just happy that they were able to remember their joke. Right. Versus whether it landed or not. But then it's like, if you're doing that for a few years. Right. And there's no change now. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Appropriate for the, the, the spoken word space, but not for the yeah. actually doing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there is an expectation. There of course. Is, it is. Just kind of going back to what you, uh, what you mentioned about doing a show like at a, at a, at a bar uh, versus doing like a Wednesday proper show. Um, Fratters here mm. in Red Deer. Um, I was the bar manager there when they, when they opened up. Oh, snap. And um, speaking with the, uh, the, the owner, um, 
Chris, he, he really wanted that to be a specific comedy venue. Um, he ran into a lot of issues with like licensing and stuff and needing to have food available with the liquor and blah, 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 blah. He actually never, so like we ended up having to do like music, um, and comedy, but I think we did, we did comedy every, I think it was every second weekend. So it was still like we stuck to doing comedy as much as humanly possible, but we needed other sources of, uh, revenue. Cause it was just, it's just tough. Like one of the issues that we found in Red Deer is, uh, and it might not be Red Deer specific, um, but particularly there, it was just like people sort of didn't know how to how to act at a comedy show versus <laughs> I'm at a bar and I'm talking to my friends and I'm here on my stagette or whatever it is, right? So it's like sometimes I felt really, really, really bad for the comedian. And sometimes the comedian fucking laid into the crowd. And I was like, you guys fucking deserve that. Like, And like, you know, sometimes I feel bad. Like, was there more we could have done as a venue to be like, Get up on stage, maybe have an MC explain. And I, I think we did. Yeah, it probably would have I think been. Think we MC's did, but just to, like explain to everybody, like, hey, listen, guys, want you to have a good time? So, Shut the fuck up. Here's the, <laughs> it, it, it's the difference between if it's a ticketed event versus hey, I'm at a bar and now there's just comedy happening. These were ticketed. Okay. Every every single one was ticketed. I mean, we had open mics, but you know that was open to musicians as well as uh, people that wanted to do. But that was a different deal. These were all ticketed shows. But you would still just have people that are chatting. And I mean, also, like part of it was our fault because we couldn't get away from having uh, to serve people food throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And like there were times when we had like we you know bigger acts that would come in like John Doerr or whatever and and we would like we would actually just be like no like the food service is gonna stop we're not legally allowed to do that but we're definitely gonna do it because mm-hmm. it's like and I wish we could have given that respect to everybody right but it was just like it, our hands were tied uh, to having to do some of those things which didn't. Um, which weren't appropriate for a comedy show, but it was something that we had to do. And it was just, it was kind of too bad, you know? Well, and this is where I got to throw props out to servers at comedy clubs because it's a different environment and they know what they're doing. Right. They lay low, they speak quietly and they're, they're ninjas. Right. That's what it is. And that's what I noticed at, uh, it might've been when it changed the crossing. Right. You know, and you just have waitresses acting as if it's just a full bar. Right. You go, right. this is not, you're still someone talking in a room. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not leaning into what's happening in the environment and right. adjusting to, for the situation. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a hard thing too. And then because they're talking at like just a regular room voice, then well, that, now that I'm indicates be... to the audience that, or, you know, whoever's at, at yeah, the table, ordering, that now yeah. they can do that yeah, exactly. too. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, like the comedians bombing because nobody's paying attention. It's not because they're not any good. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's just, the nobody, show isn't really nobody's happening. paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is, which is, I, I just, I, it was, it was heartbreaking to see sometimes. And it was just like, man, I just want people to, to know what to do at comedy. Um, and, uh, so they can appreciate the comedy because yeah. there's, there's nothing, there's nothing greater than laughing your ass off. It's somebody who's saying some fucking edgy shit that mm-hmm. they, that they can say that you can't. It's one of my favorite things about comedy. Uh-huh. Yeah. They probably said it wrong a lot of times yeah. beforehand. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a chick that I used to work with asked me, cause I, I would just, you know, I didn't really adjust for the work environment. And it's just like, I'm going to say whatever pops into my head. Yeah. 
And she asked me one time, she goes, why don't you just get like punched in the face? Because I have been. Is, yeah. <laughs> and once, I do. And once that happens, you get really good at learning how to appropriately deliver things in situations. Totally. You go, that sucked. <laughs> I don't want that to happen again. But I'm still going to say the shit that I'm going to say. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to get better at saying it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's absolutely true. I, I used to I used to have an issue thinking that I was speaking quiet enough that people couldn't hear me, but I've got a voice that's pretty booming and it carries quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't just didn't realize that some of the shit that I was saying is everybody can hear all of them, every <laughs> it's single not one. Subtle. It's nope. not subtle. Nope, thought it was wasn't wasn't at all. Got into some tough situations <laughs> that way. <laughs> so I try to have a little bit more of a filter, but I think I'm, I'm maybe cut from the same cloth as you, where I just I I just I say shit. Um, I mean, luckily I'm, I'm not like a, I'm not a very cynical person. Um, although I do really love dark humor, but I'm, I'm not very cynical. And I, I, I always want everybody to feel good around me. So I don't usually get caught saying mean shit about people. Um, cause I don't usually think about that stuff that mm. much. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I definitely, I definitely wear my heart on my sleeve a lot of the time. For better or for worse, it's it's just just the way I am. But I think it's good to be honest. Although that is one of my New Year's resolutions, though. I think I'm going to start lying more. I think I should lie more. <laughs> for it other seems like a sake, cheat code. For other... oh, it's man. kind of a cheat code for life, don't you think? I've always, you know, we're always taught be honest, be honest, be honest, and I actually live that way most of the time. But you know what? Maybe I should just maybe I should lie a little more. No. Don't you think? No, man. I no. Love, I, I, no, I like the honesty approach. So do I. <laughs> it's easier it's way easier well and i mentioned before that i have a i have a pretty weak memory which is true so it's like if oh, i yeah, start that, lying that is these disaster. lies are going to stack up on each other and i'm going to get busted yeah more frequently than not house <laughs> <laughs> card's gonna fall real quick yep <laughs> well what's your favorite christopher nolan movie my favorite Nolan movie? Yeah. Oh, that is that's actually kind of a tough question to be honest, because I mean the OG is Memento, and to this day he hasn't. I I don't think he's made one that has that depth of like mind fuckery that happens, and I love movies like that. So I think I'll I'll, I'll probably have to say Memento is probably probably my favorite. Um, uh, the Dark Knight is. I mean I, I've been a Batman fan ever since I could walk. Pretty much, he's always been my OG superhero. Um, fuck all those Superman lovers out there. You know Batman would kick his ass. You know he would outsmart him. Come at me, bro. Um, so, I mean, The Dark Knight is like, it's one of those movies that's like, it's it has no business being as well-written and as well-directed and as good as it is. It actually, it popped on Netflix the other day and I turned it on and I just wanted to watch that opening scene, that yeah. amazing Joker Ugh. bank heist at the beginning. I, and I was just going to watch that. And like, all of a sudden, like, I swear, like I blinked and I was like, I was an hour and 25 minutes into the movie. It was like, that was only a 20 minute scene, but I couldn't stop watching it. It's that good. It's actually that good. And I can't remember. I think, I think it might've won. It was, it was nominated for best screenplay. I can't remember if it won, but for a Batman movie to be nominated at the Oscars, like, bro, like that's awesome. Um, so that's, that's, that's way up there. Um, but yeah, I guess if I was to give the short answer, which I don't know if you can tell, but I love rambling, um, Memento would probably be it. Memento. Yeah, you also have a bad memory. I do have a bad memory. <laughs> a terrible memory. Um, what about yours? 
You like the Nolan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We and actually we watched uh, Dark Knight over the holidays as well, and man, <sighs> wild scenes in that. Yeah, because I was just talking about uh, like the scene where he goes to Japan to, to pull out the the mob boss. Yeah, ties yeah. him onto the plane. They fly goes, away. Yeah, China. Like, China. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, it was China. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the uh, the scene with the where the truck flips. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Everything is just so well done. Yeah. Really appreciate it, and of course the writing. Heath Ledger killed it. Oh man, unbelievable! You know, the yes. best, the best uh, Batman Joker dynamic on screen. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd have to agree, and but, and that's actually that's actually kind of tough to say because I will say that I think, like for me, Michael Keaton is is still mm-hmm. the OG. Like Mike Michael Keaton is still my favorite Batman. Yeah, but. You know, I'm a little bit biased. I grew up with Keaton as Batman. Yeah. And, like, the original, like, you know, 1989 Batman with Jack Nicholson and Keaton is, like... Like, you can't touch that. I actually don't even like to compare Nolan's Batman to Burton's you Batman. You can't really compare them. You can't, because they're no. completely different, yeah. right? And I actually will say, the like, the newest Batman... I love how we're talking about Batman now. Um, the newest <laughs> Batman... Um, Pattinson. Pattinson. Um, the first 20 ish minutes of that movie i think might be like the most true to comic book best batman stuff that has been on screen period hands down yep i found that movie was a delight yeah surprising like i I wasn't sure what to expect going in almost forgot that it came came out yeah like oh i should go check that in theaters before she's gone yeah and really liked how they leaned into like the detective aspect of it. Yes. And you're like, there That's we go. That's what I mean, man. Yeah. We've kind of forgotten that Batman's the greatest detective in the world. Yeah. I, let's see some more of that shit. And that's what we saw. That's what we saw there was and like him actually investigating a crime scene. I don't think we've ever really seen that. You might like, <laughs> no. he's just got a gadget that solves the thing right away. And it's like, no, there's some actual like detective work that has to be done. Well, we were having lunch before. And that's what we were saying. Lucius Fox was. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, Lucius, I need this. He's like, well, I got one laying around in the basement. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just dust off the old atom bomb that I have down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, Inception is probably my favorite nice. Nolan movie. And I do believe it was Hans Zimmer that did the music for that. Absolutely. And that class, just the like, <laughs> now there's a train in the street. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, my kind of action flick. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Nothing yeah. like, you're like, I don't know what this technology is that makes them go into dreams. They're not going to tell me about it at all. Just nope. I, I will just accept this is how things work in this yes, world. Yes, yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, do you like it? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> absolutely. Do you do you understand it? No, no, <laughs> exactly. No. exactly. Don't need to. It's cool. I like it. Go with it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely up there for me as as well. Inception would have been would have been the runner up to Memento again. The mind fucky and stuff. The, the Love que- the mind fucky. The question was he in a dream at the end? Uh... Honestly, I I, the top keeps spinning, it wobbles a little bit. I don't know. I think I think he's still down in limbo there. Yeah, because I think what gave it away was in the credits. Because uh earlier in the movie, like before they go on their their adventure, he he's talking to his kids on the phone and they're older. Oh. Because and then I think in the credits, I remember it, that. It's been a while since I've seen it. If you look, it, I forget exactly what it says, but if you look in the credits, 
there's like his kids it's like kids and then it says like kids old version or something old version like like older or something oh really yeah but we never see the old version right no you, you never that's the them. thing that's the thing and that's ah. why like the credits kind of that's like the, the, how i looked at it. i was like wait interesting then that would give it away interesting yeah oh man i'll have to check that out see now that i watched the dark knight again i'll just just be on a nolan kick for the next little while (laughs) this this was this has me hyped about nolan all of a sudden (laughs) (laughs) they're good movies yeah yeah it's fantastic you know you know what i missed this is just this is just going off on talking movie shit i'm sorry to your audience now um but I miss like '80s action movies so much. I started watching Running like, Man so... last night, dude. That's what made me think about it. I just watched Running Man. I just watched it last night. I just watched it, and it's like this movie is dumb as fuck, and I love it. It's so like it's so campy, and it's like given that out of all the awesome Schwarzenegger movies that I love, I mean Commando and uh, obviously Predators like the the, the, yeah. like the number yeah, one yeah. which is like not it's not campy it's not stupid it's no. great um, but like out of all those movies even like Van Damme movies like you know Universal Soldier all those things Running Man might be the stupidest one out of all of them it's, <laughs> it's so, so campy fuck, it man. is so ca- like I didn't realize how campy it was I had never and seen it's it not really it's not really that great of a story it's like it's <laughs> no, it's like it feels no, like they didn't they had about a quarter of the budget that maybe they wanted um, but it's still awesome like it didn't detract from the fact that I enjoyed every minute of watching it you know what I mean everything about it felt like Arnold was on autopilot yes he's just because the the first scene where uh, he's uh, he's in the like the the steel, the steel shop, and he's just carrying a beam on just his shoulder. Beam. My yep. brother is like, oh yeah, typical Arnold is like, at what point do I get to lift something? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not even his fault. It's not even him. That's the director being like, look at the size of you. We got to um, get the heaviest thing we got. Uh, Jim, Jim, get the heaviest thing we got. Yeah. Arnold's like, fuck, not again. But same thing in Commando, though. He's carrying like, the a tree. Log. He's exactly. got a whole tree. Exactly. He's got a whole fucking tree. <laughs> It's amazing though. I mean, that's it's that's that's great. That's what you want. And, and it's just, man, I just, I miss that. We just that that ultra ridiculous masculinity of the '80s with the you know the the predator handshake with the the, the ripped <laughs> the muscle, arm the arm wrestle. Like you have a shot. You let's get a close up on the bicep. It's like, man, they just don't make them like that anymore. And maybe for good reason. But still, I miss that shit. I grew up with that. It was the best. It was the best. And speaking of Running Man, it made me think. This is actually like the concept of this is pretty it's pretty cool. It deserves a remake. Turns out that remake is probably going to be happening. Um the uh oh, been really bad with names during this podcast. Uh the same the director, uh British dude that did like Baby Driver, uh like Shaun of the Dead. Oh okay. I forget what that guy's name is in this moment oh, right now. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed about it because he's fantastic and I love him so much. He is apparently, uh, has been working on a remake for a while. Um, I don't think they've gone into production yet, but uh, they're expecting a release for like 25, mm-hmm. 2025. So that's something you can look forward to. You're welcome for that gift, Zachary. Thank you. There will be a Running Man remake. Jesus. Yeah. I hope it sucks. Oh, oh, how dare you! In the in the game, no, no, we'll if they try to make it serious, it'll, it'll suck. Be, well, you know what? But that, I think if they like went dude, like Twenty One Jump Street, oh, right? Like lay into the comedy of it. If they did that, that'd be good. You know what I mean? That'd be great. Yeah. Um, because essentially, the Running Man is just the Hunger Games. Totally. Yeah. 
But the Hunger Games is Running Man. Exactly. Yeah. That one came first. Yeah, yeah. Let's be fair. It was a book. <laughs> Stephen King book. Do not mess with my 80s action movies, Zachary. I'm as, telling you, man. As Richard Bachman. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that concept has been done. Uh, there was another... Remember, I don't think I ever saw this movie, but there was another one with Gerard Butler where they took... Uh, prisoners and then like gamers would like operate their bodies as oh, like a no. first person I haven't seen that like Call of Duty type thing and they would just put prisoners in fighting against each other oh, gotta love prisoners for entertainment for sure just <laughs> throw them in there we don't, we don't know their names nobody thinks about them yeah chuck them in there the amount but, of innocent people that get charged for things fuck it just yeah, don't we, don't it. we don't care we don't care yeah no I haven't seen that one uh, did you did you see the uh, the squid game like the challenge i saw that it existed yeah yeah i, yeah. I did i didn't see it yeah, i enjoyed squid game exactly I, squid I, game I, was I no, a good show no intention but, of seeing a real version but of it. exactly and this is the thing it's like i feel like they're just priming us or like they'll do nine seasons of this and then it's like season 10 of squid game yeah it's real this yeah. time <laughs> this like, time yeah, we're actually killing yeah, people yeah get, finally finally dude uh it's yeah i mean that's it's it's funny who there was there's another movie that really commented on idiocracy remember where it's just like ow my balls is the number one show and you know and at that exact time there was like there was wipeout on tv and it's like let's face it we've always we've always liked that shit american gladiator american gladiator man yeah 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 so we we Always love seeing people get fucked up. Is it that yeah, kind of man. shit? I mean, ever since the, the the Romans had it, you know, it's it's that, always going to be a thing. Form of entertainment. It's always going to be a thing. We just have to accept that about ourselves. I get that. Yeah, it might not be very highbrow, but we're always going to like that shit. At the same time, look at how. Uh, oh man, almost. I can't even think of the word. But look at the UFC. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, almost prestigious. Totally. Right? Yep. And, you know, when did, when did it start? 20 years ago or something? Mm-hmm. And yep. it was just fucking brutal. Yeah. And I mean, back then, like, I'm not I, I'm not a big watcher of the UFC, but I mm-hmm. remember back then when there was, like, VHS tapes that yeah. you would find in the video store at Blockbuster <laughs> or video headquarters if you were in the town of Lacombe <laughs> like I was. Blockbuster's nope. too big to come there. Nope. Yeah. Um, and it was like, uh, you know, what would I, you know, kung fu dude do against like a wrestler exactly. or whatever, right? Like it was like different styles, which was really, really interesting. Yeah. Now it's obviously... See where it's developed where it's an amalgamation of everything. And right. some dude's like, ah, oh, I got to get good at this now. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. yeah, you got to yeah. be good at everything. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, MMA has to be the like the top form of martial art, martial art because it was often that there were factions that were battling about it, right? As a Taekwondo, as a karate. And again, I'm not a martial artist, so I'm totally talking out of my ass here. But mm-hmm. I believe uh that it was often you know it was often about like who has the better style but it's what what it is is i mean it's the bruce lee thing right be like water be fluid be all the styles if you can be all the styles then you have you have something to uh counter an attack or a strategy that's coming at you right so mma is like it's got to be the top form of of any martial art has to I think as somebody who doesn't do martial arts, who has like a beer belly and who, uh, you know, knows nothing about the expertise of it, you know, as a real armchair expert here, I think that has to be the best.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Regulars Anonymous. If you want to find out more about our guests, please check the bio below for all their links and information. Thank you for supporting by subscribing and following the show. I might see you out there and have no idea who you are.